Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. We've been involved in a series. The title of the series is When God's Burden Becomes Our Vision. How many of you by a show of hands know that God has a burden? God has a burden. His burden is for his people to discover that he loves them so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross so that we could have life and have life more abundantly today. But he rose again on the third day as well so that we could have eternal life with God the Father. God has a burden, and God wants his burden to become our vision. And when you get God's burden in your life and it becomes your vision, it will compel you to leave the four walls of this church, to go out into your community, to go out into the highways and byways and to the uttermost parts of the world and tell people that God loves them so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for them so that they could live. Okay? God has a burden. And God wants that bird to become our vision. And Nehemiah got the vision. He received God's burden. He got the vision. Nehemiah does something in 52 days that no one was able to do in over 140 years. That is to restore the temple, restore the city of God, bringing the people once again back into communion with God. So Nehemiah gets it, and he does a great job here. And we're, that's about where we're at in the story of Nehemiah. He's already built the walls. He's already hung the gates now in chapter 8. And the title of my message this morning is Remembering for Tomorrow. That's an interesting title. It's Remembering for Tomorrow. In other words, what we do is we remember what God has done for us in the past. We remember that he's never left us. He's never forsaken us. We remember that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You remember the blessings that he's given you, and that remembering affects the way that you live tomorrow. And so that's what we're going to see here with the Israelite nation as they begin to remember what God has done. All right, Nehemiah is in here. He's already built the walls. This is where we find him. He's already hung the gates. And now he's getting ready to set in what I consider three major principles to the foundation of the great work that Nehemiah is doing, okay? So if you're taking notes, the first major principle, the first major foundation that Nehemiah has set in at this point is the temple. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. The restoration of the service of the temple. It's because this was a representation of God's presence. You got to get this. This is where people would go to experience the presence of God. This is where people would go to hear the word of God. This is where people would go to offer sacrifices. This hasn't been going on for over a hundred years. Do you understand the ramification? These people have never experienced God's presence. They have never had an opportunity to go to the temple. They've never had an opportunity to offer sacrifices for their sins. They've never had an opportunity to hear the word. So when the temple was restored and the sacrifice was restored and the presence of God came, this was for the first time an opportunity for the people to be able to come in communion and experience the presence of God. So the foundation of the temple was extremely important for Nehemiah to get going because this was a representation of the presence of God so they could come and experience that. The second financial or the second foundational principle, I got financial on my mind, don't I? The second foundational principle that Nehemiah sets in place is the word of God. Nehemiah is saying here, this city, this people will be governed based on the word of God. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Lighthouse Christian Fellowship 
will be founded on the Word of God. It is the one foundation that is not shaken. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's Word will not return void. It will accomplish what you set out for it to accomplish in God's name. So we are going to found Lighthouse Christian Fellowship on the Word of God. Are you with me? So this is what Nehemiah is doing here. So he's turning this over as they get ready to read God's Word. He's not, he's not going to do it himself because, remember, Nehemiah is a politician. He's a businessman. He's a leader. He's not a preacher. So he gets Ezra here in chapter 8, verse 2, to break open the word of God. So let's look at chapter 8, verse 2, where it says, So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday. Repeat this after me. From morning until Midday. From morning until midday. That's a six-hour church service. 6 a.m. to noon. That's a long time. So anytime you think I'm going too long, I could take you to the Word and say, we could go six hours. Nehemiah has them there for six hours reading God's Word for six hours. Hours And he's doing this before the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Not only did he read it for six hours, hey, they listened for six hours. Sometimes I can't get you to listen for more than 11 minutes. They're listening for six hours as Nehemiah breaks open the word of God. Not only do they hear the word of God for six hours and they listen to God's word, but look down in verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. It could get worse. They listened to Nehemiah read the Word of God. Nehemiah read it for six hours. They listened to it for six hours while they stood up for six hours. You've got real cushioned chairs here, and we're getting close to 12. Luckily, kick off it until 3.15, but you guys got it pretty good, don't you? So we're not going to go for six hours, but they did that, and they listened to the Word of God, and they were attentive to the Word of God. And verse 9 comes down, and it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest, he was the preacher, And the scribes and the Levites, that's the life group pastors, and the associate pastors, they taught the people. And the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord for your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. If you've been at Lighthouse for very long at all, you've heard me say this. You need to be in a place where you can hear God's word. If you're going to a church right now and they're not preaching from God's word, they're not reading God's word, you need to get out of there. You need to get in a place where you can hear God's word. In your life, you need to be in a place, number two, where you read God's word. Folks, we've got it on our computers. We've got the Bible on our cell phones. We've got it all over the house, man. We've got it on CD form. We need to be opening up God's word and reading it. And not only do we need to hear it and read it, but we need to study it. And that's what is happening right here. Ezra reads for six hours. They basically break up into small groups. The life group pastors and associate pastors begin to teach them about the Word of God. And they begin to study God's Word. Listen to me. They begin to study God's Word until they found themselves in it. 
I don't know if you've ever done that or not. But if you ever get an opportunity to dig in God's word to where all of a sudden it comes alive, you're like, that's me. You will never forget that. When you find yourself in God's word, Jesus studied the word of God until he found himself in it. Luke chapter 4, he's standing in the temple and he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he opens it up and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the good news. And he finishes that passage, rolls the scroll back up, hands it back to him and sits down and says, today that has been fulfilled in me. That's me. That's me. I'm telling you, folks, study the word of God. Man, get into it. It's alive. It's active. It will come to life and you will find yourself in it. And when God begins to give you a rhema word, a personal word to you at that moment, it'll change you forever. When you first become a Christian... You know, you're young in the Lord. Maybe you don't know how to study that much. You can go to God sometimes and say, Lord, I'm desperate today. I need you to speak today, Lord. I'm going to open up the Bible, and Father, would you just speak to me? And you plant that finger down, and you look up. And you know what? Oftentimes, God will do that. He'll speak to you. But as you're growing in the Lord, I really would advise you not to do that. Because God wants you to dig deeper. He wants you to be a good steward of his word. He's given us all types of tools. Because if you're growing in the Lord and God's calling you to a deeper walk with him and you try that, it might look something like this. Lord, I just need you to speak to me today. I'm going to open the Bible. hadn't done it in a while, but I'm asking you to speak. You plant that finger and you look down and it says, and he went out and hung himself. (laughs) That wouldn't work too well. So you got to study God's Word. Hey, folks, get your kids. Parents, get your kids into the God's Word. Man, get the Word of God inside of them so that they can grow from that place. Early on, my wife and I, we wanted to get our kids reading God's Word, hearing God's Word, studying God's Word. And we were trying to figure out all types of ways to motivate them to get into God's Word. And we were encouraging them. The oldest of our kids is Carissa. She's always the one that would strike the deals for the rest of the kids. You know what I mean? She'd be the one to come in and say, okay, Dad, here's the deal. And so she comes in one day and she goes, okay, Dad, here's the deal. Why don't you pay us a dollar for every verse that we memorize? And I said, I'm not going to pay you to read God's Word and study God's Word. Are you kidding me? And Krista says, why not? That's what the church does for you. I was like, okay. That's the deal. And we began to do that. We began to pay them a dollar for every verse that they would memorize. They would come into the living room and they'd give a presentation of four or five verses. And if they got it right, and we paid them money. But listen, whatever it takes, get God's word inside of them. It's a good investment. Amen? So you need to do that. Well, they're studying God's word. Now remember, this is the first time these people have ever studied God's word. And they saw themselves in it. They realized for the first time their separation from God. They realized that they were estranged from God. They realized for the first time how they were supposed to be living, yet they weren't. And it drove them to their knees. They began to cry. They began to weep. They just said, we didn't know. We feel so terrible right now. We want to repent. We just didn't know. But the associate pastors and the life group leaders, they didn't leave them there. They brought them up to verse 14. Where it says here, and they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. 
Now, what that means is they were commanded to go and build these little bitty old shacks. They're going to go out and get some wood, and they'd build these little booths, these little shacks. They would build them on top of their roof, or maybe they would build them in their courtyard, or maybe they would build them in front of the temple. And the reason that they did this is because it was a reminder of what God had done when he brought them out of Egypt out of bondage, out of slavery, into the wilderness, and even in the midst of the wilderness, God provided. They had to live in tents. They had to live in these small booths in the wilderness. So what this charge was for was to get them to remember. Remember that it doesn't matter how far you've gone from God. It doesn't matter how bad you've become. It doesn't matter what type of sin you've been involved in. It doesn't matter how ugly your heart is today. God is still faithful and he will get you through it when you turn to him. The Levites were saying, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter where you're at today. It matters what you're going to do about it. Turn to the Lord and you're going to discover that he's standing right there. Going, I've been waiting all along. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to try and get your life right first. You don't have to live by a bunch of rules and regulations first. God says, come just as you are. You can never outrun. You can never go too far beyond God's love. You can never get beyond his loving hand. Isn't that good news? So they get the revelation of this. And man, it causes them to go into this praise and worship service that lasted another six hours. And in this, they begin to sing out these prayers. Now, I'm not going to read them all, but now we're in verse 9. Chapter 5 starts some of their prayers. And let me just read some of this real quick. This is after they've discovered that they've been separated from God, but they've also discovered that God has not left them. And they say... Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the Lord and everything in it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heavens worships you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram. Verse 9 says, You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh. Dropping down into verse 11, he says, And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by the day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire, to give them light on the road which they should travel. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. Verse 15 You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought them water out of the rock for their thirst and told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. The conclusion of this is in verse 24. So the people went in and possessed the land and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. This is another six-hour worship service of praise and thanksgiving for all that God had done. They remembered And because they remembered, it affected the way they were going to live. It brought them to the third and final principle foundation that Nehemiah set in place, and that was the covenant. Chapter 9, verse 38, Nehemiah says, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests, we seal this covenant. 
Basically, they're saying, Lord, because everything that you've done for us, we're going to choose to live for you. We're going to bind ourselves to your laws, to your rules, to your principles, and we're going to choose to be your people. We're going to do it. We're going to live for you. Now, this sounds like something that's pretty good, and I believe God was pleased with it. The only problem with this covenant was that it relied on them keeping it. And that was never going to work. See, covenant language is a little different, and I'm closing up a little bit here, but do you remember when God made a covenant with Abraham? The way that happened in that day and age, the way covenants were made is you would take the sacrifice of an animal and you would sprinkle the blood on the ground and whoever was entering in that covenant with one another, both of you would walk through the blood signifying that you're giving your life to that covenant. Okay? But when God made the covenant with Abraham, he didn't do that. He put Abraham to sleep and God walked through alone signifying God was going to be the one to keep the covenant for both parties. And so now here we have the Israelite nation making a covenant for the last time. This is the last covenant that Israel will ever make with God. And it's not too long after this that they don't keep this covenant. And once again, they turn from God. Because they were the ones that had to try and keep it. And as long as that was the case, it was never going to work. They knew that there had to be something different. And it wasn't long after that that God brought forth the ultimate covenant through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was the fulfillment. That covenant didn't happen by a dead animal's blood. It happened by the living son of God's blood. And there's nothing that we could do to deserve that. There's nothing we could do but to receive what God had done for us. God kept it all. It was God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. It was God that sent him to the earth. It was by God's spirit that Jesus lived a perfect, holy, sinless life. It was by God's permission that Jesus was crucified. And it was by God's power that he rose again. God did it all. And all we have to do is receive that. You see, folks, once you get a revelation of what has been done for you, and you remember that, it should cause you to want to give your life away. When you come to the table and you see all that's been prepared for you through the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you begin to eat and you begin to live off of that fruit, it's going to want to cause you to give yourself away. Amen? I don't know if you guys ever heard this. There was a restaurant in Denton years ago. It didn't have any prices on the menu. You'd go and you'd sit down and everything was free And then you just basically paid what you thought the food was worth. You just paid what you thought the meal was worth at the end. Dana and I would get there. It was like, it was so good. We wanted to give so much more than we thought it was worth because that's just the way it was presented to us, right? There were some people that came in and they wouldn't pay anything. And I asked the owner one time, I said, how do you deal with that? When somebody comes in and they eat of your food that you prepare and they don't give anything, he says, well, if they keep coming back, I'll ask them. I'll ask them, hey, do you like the food here? And if they say, yeah, and he'll say, well, why don't you want to give? That should be a rightful response. Uh, One of two things must be happening. Either you don't understand what's been given to you or you're a thief. Now, I know none of you would go to a restaurant and order off of the menu And walk the check. In fact, you would pay for the meal, and then you would give over and above what the meal cost to be able to bless those that served you. And so when you come in here to Lighthouse, 
and you get a revelation of what all that God has done for you, everything that he's done, it should cause you to want to give of your life. It should cause you to want to give of your treasures, of your talents, of your time. Because you get a revelation that first and foremost, Jesus is the ultimate covenant. He's the one that's done it all for us. Amen? He's the ultimate word. See, Nehemiah is pointing to all of this. Jesus is the ultimate word. This book right here is all about Jesus. From beginning to end, John says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And he goes on to say, And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the ultimate covenant. He's the ultimate word. And listen, folks. He is the ultimate temple. Because no longer do I have to go to a place. No longer do I have to go to a mountain. I get to go to a person and experience God's presence. Just like he was saying last week to the woman at the well. She's saying, I don't understand. I don't have to go to a mountain anymore to try and get God's presence. I can't go to a temple anymore. Jesus is saying, listen to me. The time is coming. No. No. Now is. When you don't have to go to that temple, you don't have to go to that mountain. You just come to me because I am the way, the truth, and the life. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're like these people, the Israelite nation. You didn't even realize that you had been separated from God. But God's calling you back, only for you to discover that he never left you at all. Maybe like the Israelite people here, you've never even heard that God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And it's somewhat overwhelming because you're trying to figure out what can you do to deserve it. How can you get it? You don't do anything. You just receive the free gift.